0: Good evening, nice to see all of you here. Uh, I'm Evan Smith, I'm the Editor-in-Chief and CEO of the Texas Tribune and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you formally to the 5th Texas Tribune Festival. We are so fortunate to be on the University of Texas at Austin campus again with our festival and the 5th festival I can assure you is going to be the best ever. It is certainly going to be the biggest ever. The most speakers, the most sessions. The most tracks featuring the widest range of subjects, and I believe by the time we tally you all up at the end of the weekend, we will have the most attendees ever. Uh, This makes us enormously happy at the Tribune because this is the very best way to realize the mission's Tribune of greater civic engagement and more civil discourse. We like nothing more than to fill a room with folks like you, to put elected officials, newsmakers, and other important folks up on a stage. Ask them hard questions while you're in the room. Give you the chance to ask them hard questions. We all walk away smarter, and the state walks away better for it. So it just it's it's so gratifying after five years to be able to see a full room and and so many of you here to join us. Uh, I mentioned we're at the University of Texas at Austin. We have been on this campus since year one. The extraordinary generosity of the staff of the university. Bill Powers, the former president of UT Austin, was uh, very interested in this uh, festival. Uh, locating on this campus. And uh, we're very fortunate that uh, President Powers' successor, President Greg Fenvis, has been equally hospitable and equally enthusiastic about welcoming us all on campus. Uh, Previous years, President Powers would come out and make a few welcoming remarks at the beginning of the festival, and I'm thrilled and honored, we are all thrilled and honored, that President Greg Fenvis is here tonight to welcome you all to this great campus. Please join me in welcoming the President of the University of Texas at Austin, Greg Fenvis.
1: Well, good, eve- <laughs> good evening, everyone. Welcome to the University of Texas at Austin. It is an honor to welcome you here to, as uh, Evan just said, the fifth Texas Tribune Festival. I think I've been coming to every, uh, every uh, Tribune uh, Festival uh, since it began. And it started out a little small. What is, what is this? Uh, we're bringing people together on campus on a weekend. No football game. What's, what's going on here? And every year, it's grown in the number of participants, in the depth of the discussion, uh, the panels that are addressing critical issues facing our state and also facing the nation. We've seen attendance grow uh, among uh, those interested in policy, uh, citizens, uh, many students. And welcome. I especially want to welcome uh, University of Texas students and uh, students from across the state uh, here today elected officials and just policy walks who love to talk about big ideas and how we can bring uh, the intelligence of our community uh, to address the problems that are facing Texas and facing society. One of my goals at the University of Texas is to demonstrate our university's role in civic engagement, in public engagement, to open up our campus. Uh, to the tremendous resources that we have here, that the public has supported at this great public research university, and expose our students to the ideas across this community, bring experts in, and vigorously debate uh, uh, challenges that that we do face. And that really is the fundamental role of a university and the legacy that I see the University of Texas holds for the state of Texas. So it's a beautiful, uh, it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Uh, We welcome you to buildings throughout the campus that the panel's going to be involved in. Uh, A great event out on the mall tomorrow afternoon uh, with uh, local food trucks and we're going to have a lot of those around the campus and really just enjoy the beautiful University of Texas campus and enjoy the discussion that's going to take place over the weekend. So thank you for being here and I'm looking forward to the debate and I want to just mention uh, Evan has been a leader in this and I was thinking as I was preparing for these remarks how nice it is to be on a stage with Evan Smith and him not asking me any questions. So let's look forward to the questions he is going to ask. Thank you.
0: Good. I appreciate it. Right. Yes, you better get off stage immediately or I will ask you questions. That's it. Uh, Mr. President, thank you so much. As I said, the University of Texas at Austin has been so hospitable in having us on this campus now for five years, and it is not just President Fenvis uh, in this case, but the entire staff of the University of Texas at Austin, p- folks in the tower, folks all over this campus who work really long uh, hours and work extraordinarily hard over a period of months to, uh, to make it possible for us to be here. Please join me in giving our partner, the University of Texas at Austin, their staff and the institution, a big hand for their help <laughs> in making this possible. I want to acknowledge um, I want to acknowledge two other very important partners without whom this would not uh, be happening uh, tonight and would not have happened for the previous year, at least in one case, previous years. And that uh, first is South by Southwest. We know the South by Southwest organization for the extraordinary music and interactive and film, now education and eco-festivals that they put on in Austin. They've helped transform the cultural life of the city. You know, at the end of the day, they're really, really amazing at putting on events like this. The part that you don't see, the back end, the production team. Uh, Our festival for five years now has been run so smoothly in large part because of the hard work of our partners at South by Southwest. Please give them a hand for their contribution to this event. And then finally, this year, I want to acknowledge our presenting sponsor. Uh, You know, the Tribune is a nonprofit news organization. As such, public media organization, we are supported through the generous contributions of individuals, foundations, and corporations. And I'm pleased to be able to tell you, last year on the first night of the festival, I stood up and said we'd raised $25 million in five years to support this kind of work. As I stand here today, on the first night of this year's festival, we've now raised $33 million to support the work of our newsroom. And individual contributors, big and small, many people in this room are a big part of that. Foundation supporters are a big part of that. Corporate underwriters are a big part of that, as they are at all public media organizations. This year, for the first time, we have a presenting sponsor, a logoed presenting sponsor. You'll see their names and their logo all over the campus. I want to acknowledge and thank our friends at Walmart for being the presenting sponsor of the Texas Tribune Festival in 2015. Please give them a big hand. And then as I do uh, every year, I'm going to very quickly, just once, go through the list of our sponsors, read them and acknowledge them, save your applause until the end. It's a long list, fortunately. It makes it possible again for us to do not just this festival, but the work we do all year. And all these folks very generously supported the Texas Tribune Festival this year. AAA Texas, AARP, America's Natural Gas Alliance, the Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life, the Association of Texas Professional Educators, at and I'm only on the B's now. Baylor Scott & White Health, uh, the Beer Alliance of Texas, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, the Boeing Company, Centerpoint Energy, Comcast, CPS Energy, Deloitte, Doctors Hospital at Renaissance, Educate Texas, Amaris, ETS, ExxonMobil, FET Event Solutions at Austin Community College, Google, the Greater Texas Foundation, Greater Texas Water, Gulf States Toyota, H-E-B, Harmony Public Schools, Hill & Knowlton Strategies, Houston First, IBC Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, the LBJ School of Public Affairs, Levick, Lockheed Martin, the Lumina Foundation, the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment, the Meadows Foundation, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, the Medill School of Journalism, Messina Hoff, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, the Cynthia and George Mitchell Foundation, the Monument Group, the Nature Conservancy, NRG Energy, Pearson Postano, Raise Your Hand Texas, Schweike Media, Southwest Airlines, St. David's Healthcare and the St. David's Foundation, State Farm, the Hatton W. Sumners Foundation, Sway Water, Teladoc, the Texas A&M University System, the Tech Association for the Gifted and Talented, the Tech Association of Realtors, Texas Central Partners, the Texas X's, Toyota Motors North America, the University of Texas Press, the University Co-op, Upbring, USAA, the UT Southwestern Medical Center, Valero, Villanovo, Zachary Holdings are all sponsors of this year's Texas Tribune Festival. Please give them a hand. I want to acknowledge as well our media partners this year: Culture Map, Houston Public Media, KLRU, KXAN, Marfa Public Radio, Texas Monthly, The Texas Standard, The Washington Post, and Univision Austin. The AT&T Executive and Conference Cent- Education and Conference Center is the official hotel and base camp for the festival. And tonight's opening session is sponsored by Toyota and Gulf States Toyota, and we appreciate their generous support. The drill tonight will be as it's been in previous years. 60 minutes of conversation, or 60 minutes in total for the session. About 40 minutes of conversation up here on the stage with our guest. 20 minutes of questions from the audience. And we have microphones on either side at the appropriate time. We'll ask that you line up and ask questions of our guest. We'll be done in about 60 minutes. Then we ask that you join us on the main mall in the shadow of the UT Tower for the festival's opening night party. Open to everybody. Please silence your phones if you're gonna tweet this event. The hashtag is TTF, he is at Dan Patrick, and I am at Evan A. Smith. And that's our housekeeping long list of things, but we're through it. Um, And so let's begin, let's actually kick this thing off. Now it is my pleasure to introduce the opening session of the 2015 Texas Tribune Festival. As I have noted at the start of our annual event, four times previously, The kickoff carries great weight. It sets the tone for the next couple of days of conversations, it's always provocative and newsy, and it showcases the accomplishments, aspirations, values, and vision of one of the most important players in Texas public policy and politics. Past occupants of this chair during our festival opener include both of our United States senators, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz, our governor, Rick Perry, and at that time, our soon-to-be land commissioner, George P. Bush. This year's leadoff hitter is very much in the same vein, but there's a twist. While he is worthy of the big stage in his own right, he is, in the way we've built the program, paired deliberately and perfectly, I think, with the Sunday morning clothes. You should think of them as our first-ever keynote bookends. Both our opener and our closer are among the most interesting and most celebrated members of the political circles in which they travel. They're hyper-visible flag carriers for their respective ideological cohorts, drivers of the broad policy conversation of any given moment, making news and headlines wherever they go. They are the spiritual, if not the literal, leaders of their parties in Texas. If you want to see into the Democrats future here, if you want to peer into the wild blue yonder. You could hardly do worse than spend an hour with the former mayor of San Antonio and current Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, the Honorable Julian Castro, who will take the stage Sunday morning with me over at the at and Conference Center. He'll talk with us mere days after the pomp of his endorsement back home of Hillary Clinton, which brought into full view the very real possibility that his next Assignment may be candidate for the vice presidency in 2016 or maybe candidate for Texas governor in 2018. Time will tell. If you want to understand what motivates and energizes Texas Republicans, whose grip on the reins of power at the Capitol and elsewhere is tighter than ever, then it is not Ted Cruz or even Greg Abbott you need to sit down with. It is the 42nd Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, who will join me out here. Momentarily, As you surely know, Mr. Patrick won what is traditionally believed to be the state's most powerful office last November and immediately established himself as promised during his campaign as the most conservative statewide elected official in Texas history. The lieutenant governor who entered politics less than a decade ago is in sync with the times as few public officials in either party are. He was Tea Party before Tea Party was cool. He was 10th Amendment before 10th Amendment was cool. He anticipated the grassroots conservative wave better than just about anyone and has surfed it ever since he defeated two House members and a Houston city councilman to succeed John Lindsay in representing Senate District 7 in 2006. Last year, he defeated a three-time incumbent lieutenant governor and two other statewide electeds to win the Republican Party's nomination in the race for the all-powerful, presiding officer's job in the Texas Senate. In what has become a familiar pattern in Texas in the last two decades, he then vanquished his general election opponent by 20 points. Governor Patrick has long been caricatured by his opponents, who are mostly but not exclusively Democrats. They talk about him as they would a cartoon character or a parade float, as someone not to be taken seriously. Like an unexploded device on the side of a war-torn road, they expect him to blow up every time they drive by at a certain speed. The problem with the provoking and the mocking, of course, is that he doesn't blow up. And he's not a cartoon. As he demonstrated with efficiency and intense focus in the 84th session, he has become, or maybe he always was, an immensely talented politician. Gifted at both the strategic and tactical aspects of lawmaking. Underestimate him and his conservative agenda at your own peril. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the keynote opener for the 2015 Texas Tribune Festival, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. Thank you very much. May I put you on that side, far side? Thank you. Thank you. Lieutenant Governor, thank you for being here. It's great to be here. Appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. We always enjoy it. And we do. Before we start. Yes, sir. Before I
2: forget. Right. In case you didn't hear. Yes. I'm not running for governor in 2018. Oh, we'll
0: get to, to that. Make that clear. I just want
3: to make that yes, clear. Yes,
0: yes, we'll we're, get to your future. We, we
2: established that before.
0: We established it last still, year. And people still write it. I think your exact words to me last year over at the AT&T were, put it in cement. Put it in cement. It's not happening. We'll get to that Greg
2: Abbott is a close ally. We, we campaigned on the same issues. I think yeah. we had a very good session because the senators right. did a great job. And uh, we'll be working side by side.
0: Well, we'll come back to that at the end. Yes. I, I, w- I want to go back to, in fact, a year ago, as I alluded to, on the stage over at the AT&T. Uh, you were then a candidate for lieutenant governor. Yes. Things worked out well for you after that? They did. Did things work out well for us? Can you make the case for why you winning the lieutenant governor's office and what happened subsequently in the session was a good thing for Texas? Do it like an ESPN highlight reel. Highlight reels are not long, but give us the highlights. What, What was it about your victory and your subsequent work as lieutenant governor that made Texas better?
2: Well, first of all, I was elected by a majority of conservatives to govern as a conservative. Right. But as lieutenant governor, you have to represent all the people. As a senator, I always represented all the people in my district, whether right. they voted for me or not, whether they agreed or not. If they had an issue, we tried to address it. Right. So as lieutenant governor, my first responsibility was to represent the people who elected me. Otherwise, what's the point in electing people if they're not going to follow your lead? Secondly, I had a long list as Greg Abbott did. We had a very similar list of uh, priorities we wanted to pass. In our case, we had 23 priorities in the Senate. We passed, in some form or another, 21. Most got to the governor's desk and were signed. So we completed the task that both of us campaigned on. Uh, In terms of broad issues, so some will have impacted uh, conservatives who wanted legislation passed uh, or procedures changed, and others served us all. Let me, let me start with the issues that helped everyone first. Okay. Number one, because a lot of people don't realize this, I've always, been a, I've always been a proponent that we have to incentivize our brightest and best young people of going into teaching, particularly math and science, where less than a half of our math and science teachers in our schools have a degree in math and science. I was an English major. You wouldn't want me teaching calculus. But we have those situations. In fact, do you know that 57% of all teachers now come out of an alternative certified program? Not even through our schools of education. Yeah. So I've been trying to pass a bill for a long time, was not able to get funding for it as a senator, but as lieutenant governor you have a little bit more sway. And so we're creating 4,000 scholarships for math and science teachers. If a student uh, agrees to teach four years where we send them, it might be an inner city school, it might be a, a rural area that is short of math and science teacher, four years where we send you uh, and then four years where you want to teach, we'll start reducing that loan right. for in year five, six, seven, eight, twenty five 25% a year. So if you teach eight years, we'll pay for that. So a 1,000 students this year for four years, we'll have 4,000 in the program. Right. I think it will be successful. So that's, that's good for Texas. That's one good thing. Number two, uh, we pay nearly a million dollars to educate doctors in our state. We pay about 90%, the taxpayers, to educate a doctor. When I was on finance early in my career, I asked a simple question. Well, do we require them to stay in Texas? And the answer is no. We still do not, but we want to encourage our doctors, when we pay for their education, to stay in Texas. Right. We were losing them because we didn't have enough residency slots. So this year, Senator Jane Nelson, who did I think the best job anyone's ever done as chair of finance, and we've had some good ones. We put sixty million dollars in to create a thousand slots, residency slots. I want to be sure that every doctor that we educate in Texas right. has the opportunity to have a residency slot, so they stay in Texas. So those are those are nonpartisan issues. Three. Let's talk about transportation. Uh, in transportation. We have Prop 7 on the ballot that will put $2.5 billion, no new taxes, no new debt, yep. focused on transportation. That's a good thing. Back to education. Um, we Most people in education would say it was the best higher education session they've had in a decade. That benefits everyone. Uh, we passed tuition revenue bonds for the first time in 10 years. Yep. We pumped more money into the formulas, and the matching programs that we have, the trip funds, right. were behind from where they should have been, and we made up most or all of that money. Uh, in public education, we put an additional $3 billion into public education. Uh, so these are things that impact Me, every one of the positive ones. Meat, meat and, and potatoes stuff. Meat and potatoes Yeah. But things that, that I was very focused on that maybe weren't big campaign issues. I talked about all these things, Right. but important for all Texans. Now let's talk about some other issues. I think this is important for all Texans, that you get property tax relief. People cannot afford their homes in Austin or anywhere else in Texas right? if their property taxes go up 7, 8, 9, 10% a year. The rule of 72, as you know, Evan, is whatever you divide into 72, doubles. So if your property taxes go up 8% a year, in nine years your taxes double, you can't afford that. Your salary is not keeping pace with that. So property tax relief is a very positive thing. That's Prop 1. We fought very hard in the Senate. We would not yield on that issue. And we eventually prevailed. Right. And remember, everything that we accomplished in the Senate uh, that gets to the governor's desk, the House has to pass, and the same thing, the thing that they accomplished, we have to pass. So right. in the end, there's always a little bit of tension, always a bit of pushback. People have different ideas, but we worked together. But so you pro- got that done. So we got that done. So property tax relief, focus on transportation, higher education, education, creating residency slots, scholarships right. for students. Uh, and then we focused on some some key issues. One is a uh, process. We've never had more than 20 Republican senators in the history of the state. The way the the maps are drawn. That's probably the max you'd ever have. There's one swing district, the district that Connie Burton defeated, uh, her opponent, Wendy Davis, had, but that's about the only swing district. So the Republicans will always be 19 or 20 senators, and the Democrats are going to be, you know, for the foreseeable future, will be the difference. Well, we had this rule, 21-vote rule. I fought it when I came in as a freshman, and the rule said you have to have 21 votes to bring a bill to the floor. Well, as the Republican majority, if we only had 20 or 19, depending on the session, the truth was the Democrats could block any bill they wanted. They had the same power as Governor Perry or Governor Abbott to veto a bill. And I thought that was wrong. And so this year, we changed the rule that I tried to change as a freshman. And by the way, when I asked for a vote, I lost 30 to 1. But this year, it passed. So now it only takes 19 votes to bring a bill to the floor, which allows the majority to legislate as the people who elected them asked so them a, to do. A, a, so that a, was a positive a, a, thing. a process
0: change. That was a process change. And right. let me
2: tell you something interesting about that. We passed over a thousand bills. How many do you think passed along partisan lines? About 30. Yeah, a little less than 30. So that means 99% of the bills passed with bipartisan support. I personally believe the reason that happened was because Democrats who before could just fold their arms and say, you know, we're, not, we're blocking that bill, now had to come to the table. And if they came to the table with good ideas and amendments, that worked, yep. um, that didn't dilute the bill. Um, we incorporated those. Secondly, uh, this may surprise people, but the senator who passed more bills than anyone was Judith Safarini. She passed 102 bills. Uh, she's always proactive and, and, and very productive and passing and bills. And she's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. So my point is that I, I believe, you know, I'm a rock solid Reagan conservative, and I was elected by conservatives to pass the legislation that. that they elected me to pass. I made promises. I kept my promises. Yeah. But at the same time, you can do that by listening, by having co-creators in your vision. That's Republican senators, and Democrat senators, people from the outside. Uh, and we also were inclusive enough to make sure that we that we passed legislation that had broad support, bipartisan support. So, in that regard, um, never once do I yield on my conservative values and principles. The, the problem with elected officials today in both parties is that people campaign on one thing and they do another. You can take it and put it in the bank. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I may not, get it all, I may not always get it done but I'm going to do everything I can to get it done. And I think you know
0: that. Well, so, uh, Governor, the one thing you did not mention is the only thing that the legislature is obligated to do when they come in in 140 days, you passed a budget. Now, all the things you named are all significant, have impacts on different people around the state. Fact is, you passed a budget.
2: We passed a budget, and we passed a conservative budget that only grew 3.9%. Despite, it,
0: despite the fact that you were told by the comptroller at the beginning of the session you had much more money than you ultimately yes. decided to spend, you passed what you believed to be a conservative well,
2: budget. I think it was a conservative thing to do and a wise thing to do not to spend all the money. Right. We, we will have around $5 billion on hand. That's the estimate when we return. We have a little under $11 billion in the rainy day fund. During the session and before the session, the price of oil was dropping. It would not have been smart to spend all the money. You well, would you know, want we, to do but that.
0: we we doubted you, and in fact, a lot of us who think we know so much outside yeah. the capital said, "Well, look, they're leaving all this money on the table at a time when the state is growing." Sure. Uh, really fast and changing dynamically. There are a lot of priorities for, for the state that need to be tended to. Some that have gone untended to for the last couple of sessions, when we had less money. They should be spending more of the money that they're leaving on the well, table. Again, we right. increase spending to higher education. We right. increase spending. But you the understand, education. we don't care about facts, care. those of us who view this stuff on the outside. We just think we know better. Well, so I, then what happened this week? The comptroller came back with a revised revenue estimate, and he said, in fact, we had less money than I thought. So now it turns out maybe not spending all that money was a smarter decision than we thought to begin with. Well, I always knew it was a smarter decision. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't know it. And I don't mean that—I don't mean that in a, in a, a snap right. in a
2: snap response. Yeah, who would spend all your money when you take your paycheck right. home? You spend every dollar, not save any of it. Look, our budget is two hundred and nine billion dollars. We have to have some money in reserve. And it is the
0: largest budget that you've ever largest passed.
2: budget. Here's something very interesting yeah. about the budget on why we have to be careful. Right if you increase the budget four percent a year four percent over the year over the next twenty years ten session when our population is expected to go from twenty seven million to forty million people our budget would grow from two hundred and nine billion dollars to about three hundred and forty billion that's at four percent but if you spend seven percent increase a year and some people your, your closing guest on Sunday morning will want to spend a lot more if if you spend seven percent a year in 20 years, only 10 sessions, yep. our budget would be nearly half a trillion. So the difference of a percent or two does make a difference. Makes a big difference. Right. And and what I always all the people, there are some people that say they want to spend more and more and more. And the answer is: make a case for me that we need it. Because the money comes from you, by the way. Yep. And then go to the people and say, "Is that something you really want to support?" Because people are being squeezed on their property tax. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's getting tougher and tougher to get a four and five percent raise on a yearly basis. We should not outpace your spending. That's why on property tax, I felt. I felt so strongly that we've got to reduce property taxes to keep it below population and inflation. Your property taxes should not go up more than you make and if It shouldn't go up what you make every year. You're just treading water.
0: Well, we're going to come to property taxes in a second because you put out your interim charges in the last yes. week and talked about a bunch of issues you wanted to tend to. One of those, and I want to deal with that first, is property tax. But I want to come back to, for a second, the revised revenue estimate. The controller's reaction to the events of the last few months, in which oil prices really haven't right. rebounded, and all that, was to lower the revenue estimate. Is there a possibility that over the next six months, or between now and the 2017 session, things are not going to come back, and it's going to turn out, in fact, that the revenue estimate will drop again and again, and that maybe we're guilty of irrational exuberance there at the beginning of the session, more so than we should have been? And I don't think we some were, of the commitments you made, you can't honor.
2: Well, no, I don't think we were irrational uh, at all. I think um, in the Senate we charted the course of where we were going. The other issue we talked about that we campaigned on that benefits everyone is we almost tripled the money for border security. From about 300 million to to 800 800 million. 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 That was something I feel strongly about Because we have to keep potential terrorists, which Colonel McCraw, head of DPS, just talked about last week. We know people have crossed the border from countries of interest where terrorism is is a hotbed, speaking specific Arabic languages. We know we've captured people, apprehended them from those countries. We know the drug cartels are infiltrating our schools with drugs and crime. And we had to do that. So I think we had a very... I had a very clear vision of where we were going. But you're
0: not, you're not concerned that there's going to be continued downturns that well, are going to ultimately affect... I, I can't...
2: No one here, if we could, we'd all go out Monday and buy stock. Nobody or, can predict what's going to happen. We can't predict what's going right. to happen. Because right. look, why is oil down? That's nothing to do with us. It has to do with Saudi Arabia. Yep. They know if we become energy independent, and Texas is leading the way, you know, half the rigs in America are here are in Are here in Texas. Texas. Now, we've gone from... This time, a year and a half ago, we had 1,600 rigs in the United States. Today, we had 800 working. And a year and a half ago, 800 of those were ours, and now they're about 400. So we're 50% of the rigs. Saudi Arabia understands very clearly. If we become energy independent, we don't need them anymore. And if we don't need them anymore, our military won't be there to protect them. And the royal family doesn't want to have their throats slashed and their country overrun by terrorists in the Middle East. So they dropped the price of oil to punish Iran, to punish Russia. Look, they're, they're at war in damning right now. And to keep us close by of being dependent on them. So we can't control what the Saudis do. We can't control world events. We can't well, what control
0: we, and we can't predict.
2: No, but, but let me, let me sh- share this. This is, I don't know how many of you are hockey fans, but you've probably heard the name Wayne Gretzky. The principle yep. will apply here. Wayne Gretzky arguably is the greatest hockey player ever because he did one thing differently than anyone else. Before Wayne Gretzky came along, I mean, he was a great great skater, he was quick, he was nimble, a great shooter, all those things. But before he came along, every hockey player focused on where the puck was. Wayne Gretzky focused on where the puck was going to be, where it was gonna end up, Yep. and that's where he was. As elected officials, Republicans and Democrats, in Washington or in Austin, we've gotta stop getting away from where the puck is. We have to focus on where it's going to be. In 2035, the estimate is we're going to have 40 million of us. Right. Now, to put this in perspective, when George Bush became president, which seems like yesterday when they were looking at those hanging chads, there were only 18 million of us. There are 27 million of us now. Right. Notice the traffic. And we're, going to and we're going to double
0: again by 20. And we're going to double again. So we
2: have to have elected officials today right. who have a vision where right. that puck's going to be
0: and get us there. Well, let's let's do that. Let's go like Gretzky and let's look where the puck is going. The, yes. the, 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 the place where uh, the puck is going, if I understand yes. uh, it, it are, are the interim charges that you've given. You, yes. you have identified issues in the interim here that you want the legislature to take up so that you can craft an agenda for the next session. If we're yes. gonna look into the future, this is a pretty good way to look into the future. I looked through, there are 90 odd interim charges that you've put out. Um, I picked out a couple that jumped out at me, things that were in there and things that were not in there, I thought conspicuous in their absence, that I want to ask you about. And, Proper, and,
2: yeah. and before you go there, yeah. so everyone understands the reason interim charges are important.
0: I was just with a legislator from another state, and they said, We don't do interim charges.
2: Well, they meet every year. We don't meet every we, year. We
0: meet every other year. And so we need to figure out in the interim what's going to be the best use of those 140 And give
2: the committees time to
0: get testimony, to study issues. Talk about issues. And and be prepared for the next session. So property taxes you mentioned. So we dealt with property taxes during this session. As you said, you wanted to do one thing. The House wanted to do another. You all came together. Property taxes are are going down. So I get my Austin American statesman this last weekend, and there's a headline. Typical Austin homeowner to see total tax bill increase of 242 dollars I thought my property taxes were going down and then I read no my property taxes are apt to be higher now I realize you talked about this last year when we were sitting over at the at t yes. what you said was here's been the problem with the whole property tax issue you can cut your property taxes but if you don't address the appraisal issue all it does is wipe right. out any tax decrease you get right. so what exactly can you do or are you gonna do there is no statewide property tax so what can you do with the legislature to make it so that we feel the property sure. tax cut that you say you gave us?
2: Well, we would like to have done a lot more in this session. Uh, you may recall, and uh, no criticism of the House at all. I just focus on the Senate. Yeah. But but the Senate bill that we passed to reduce property taxes was much higher than it went to the House and it came out of the House. It was cut back a little bit. But it's step one. And, and prop one, and I talked about this in... In all of my speeches about Prop 1, it's just step one. It increases the homestead exemption from 15 to 25000 Right. So for a person living in a $150,000 home, and the average home in Texas is about 212000 higher in this area, of course. Uh, but it will save the average homeowner in that price range, you know, 7, 8 immediate percent. But then the appraisal goes up, and it kind of wipes that out. Right. So at least we wanted to kind of hold the line. So step one, for the first time in decades, right. increase the homestead exemption. Prop 1 also does something else very important, and I'll come back to your question. Yeah. But I want people to know why to vote for it is many states have a tax when you sell your property. Whether it's a farm, a ranch, your home, if you own a shopping center, I don't ever want a tax on your property when you sell it. So by passing Prop 1, we will never have what's known as a transfer tax. So what do you do next? so, So here's what's next. We have to disconnect the dollar for dollar increase in your property taxes to your appraisal value. And there are several ways to do that. And the reason you have to disconnect it is you want your property to increase in value. I mean, that's it's it's your major investment. Yeah. But you can't be taxed on it as it continues to go up. For example, if Evan and I live next door on some Austin Street, and we both live in a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar home that we bought, and in a few years it's worth three hundred and fifty, and he sells his for three fifty. Yeah. He just made a hundred thousand dollar profit. I haven't made anything on my home, and my home is worth three fifty but I haven't made anything on it. So why should I be taxed on his gain? It's like if we bought a stock in here tonight at $10 a share and this half of the room bought it and this half of the room bought it and next Tuesday it's worth 30. This half of the room says, we want to sell and take our gain. This half of the room says, we'll hold the stock. Why should you be taxed because they made money? Right. So that's what happens in our, in our in our market right now. So we have to either cut the cap from 10% and make it lower, which is, which is not supported by right. everyone. And remember the cities and counties hate this conversation. Um, or we have to lower the rollback rate. Most people don't know this, but today, if a if a if a taxing entity, and we have 4,017 taxing entities in the in, the, in Texas, uh, if 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 their uh, taxes go up more than or their budgets go up more than eight uh, percent, then they you can have a petition to roll it back below eight percent. Except, no one's ever done that to my knowledge. It's hard to get the petition. Yep. We had a bill in the Senate uh, that we're going to push hard next session to take that 8% to 6% and make it an automatic election. So if the taxes go up higher than 6% or the revenues go up higher for the local budget, there has to be an automatic election. Now we did pass Senate Bill 1760, which for the first time in history will do this, Evan. It will require, and look, the mayors and city council and commissioners and judges, they all have a hard job. but. That doesn't excuse them increasing your property taxes beyond what you can afford. So what Senate Bill 1760 does is for the first time they're actually gonna to have to vote to raise your taxes if they're higher than last year.
0: But that was something you passed last session.
2: The two this, things you mentioned earlier, you're looking about going back well, to Yeah, Mexico. we passed. Right. but uh, This is the first step that we right. hope controls this. Right. Because here's here's basically what's been happening. Right. You and I are county commissioners, the mayor, city council, whatever. We don't have to raise taxes. Because the values went up 9%. We just inherit the property wealth. And all of a sudden, we have 9% more percent in our budget. Right. Your taxes went up 9%. And I come to you and say, you know what? Re-elect me. I've never raised your taxes. What should happen is kind of a seesaw. As your value goes up, your tax rate should go down. So that your effective tax rate, which you really pay, is no more than population. And that's population something that you before. all
0: can do. We can do that.
2: We continue. can lower the appraisal cap, but yeah. I, think, I think the rollback rate is the effective way to go. Right. And I also believe in, in the taxpayers. For example, many school bonds pass because the, the schools make a case to the voters why we need it and the voters say right. great. Or a city says, I need another fire station. People say, okay. But I at least want you to have a voice, because right now, property owners, it's taxation through evaluation without representation. I want you to cast a vote. So if you have a city or a county that says, yep. I need more than 6%, let them come make their case to you. But we can't keep giving them nine, folks. You can't keep up.
0: All right, let me ask you about religious liberty. That was yes. another thing that you mentioned you wanted studied as an interim charge. You all passed the Pastor Protection Act in the last we session. Did. What, left, what is left to be done in the area of protecting religious liberties. Where do you think there's a threat, and what more should you do or will you do in the next session? This is a this is a hard issue. Uh,
2: and we need to be careful how we address it, but I think we can. Uh, for example, Indiana didn't do so well. They tried a bill and they had to back up and rewrite another bill. Other states have tried. Here's where we are, folks. And, and if I can ask all of you, uh, as, as I'm trying tonight, I hope you can hear from my tone and my comments, leave our partisanship aside, leave our views on the side we're all in this we're all in this together. Republicans, Democrats, independents. If ISIS comes here to kill us, they're not going to care what your political ideology is, trust me. Or what party you vote for. So we are all together. So how do we do this that protects the religious beliefs of individuals and also protects the rights of others? We passed the Pastor Protection Bill because we didn't want if the Supreme Court uh, said that same sex marriage was legal, which they did after session. We didn't want a pastor of a church or a rabbi of a synagogue or any one of us or a priest of the Catholic Church. We didn't want them to be forced to perform a same sex wedding. I mean, how, how would they confront that? It would be against what they've been preaching about or teaching about. Or, And if they did, then, then they might lose credibility and leave the church. I mean, it would put them in a terrible position. So that's why the Pastor Protection Bill, although we believe it's already protected. We wanted to be sure, right? But what about the rest of us? And I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm an uh, unashamed Christian. Uh, what about the rest of us who have religious beliefs? No one in this country should be denied service. If you go into business, no one should be able, because they're in business, to deny service to anyone comes in the door. We all agree with that. But should a person in business be forced to participate in an event that goes against their religious beliefs, their values? How, how, how would it, it happen,
0: p- Governor? Is this a, an assumed threat or a real threat? How well, would it happen that a business well, owner would be forced? It is a real threat because we've, we've
2: seen some people, and most people in the gay movement are not political activists, but some of the political activists in other states have gone after a caterer or a wedding photographer, and and put the, with the little pizza place that they put out of business because they didn't want to get you know actually go and, and and be involved in the event. So think about this, Evan. Let's right. let's move the same-sex marriage on the side, but I'll use this for an example. Yeah. Would we force? an orthodox Jewish baker to have to go and participate in a neo-Nazi rally and, and provide a cake with a swastika on top. Of course we
0: wouldn't. We but, would. But who would force that baker to do it? Any Look, look, Evan.
2: It, it happens in the same-sex marriage issue. People who have gone. We had a same-sex couple uh, um, in Indiana who went to the baker. They've been customers. And the baker was happy to provide them and they said, We want you to cater, we want you to be a They said, I can't do that, I don't want to do that. Right. And they sued him. And the guy went out of business, except the citizens came along and provided enough money. So, so what do you mean for the state? What do you mean for so, the state to so do What exactly we need, is it? We need a religious liberty bill that says that anyone for their religious beliefs right. should not have to be involved in an event that goes against their religious beliefs. It's, it's really not complicated, but at the same time, right. not, that doesn't mean you don't provide a service or if they come into your store. Look, there are gonna be plenty of people who will, who will take care of the same-sex wedding or whatever it might be. I, you know, I used that, you know, that seemed like right. an, an extreme example that I gave you, but it's also an extreme example if a person is a devout Christian, whatever business they're in, and someone says, if you don't come to my same-sex wedding and cater my party and be there,
0: I'm gonna sue you. And you think there's enough of a threat that we need to pass? We need to pass the bill. Yeah, a yeah I say. do think it's enough. Uh, th- this, question, this question of faith in politics, I yeah. want to move just to the side of this sure. for a second. You were kind enough to participate in a project that we did recently. We published last week a documentary series about faith in politics, yes. God, God and Governing. And you talked expansively about why you believe there was a proper place in lawmaking yes. for faith and in the public discussions of, of, of policy. Right. One of the things you said was, this is a Christian nation. Yes, right. You believe this is I, a Christian absolutely. nation. Do you believe that people who are not Christian should in any way hear you say this is a Christian nation and feel in any way not uh, comfortable with that or that this is not their place? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew. Sure, sure. I'm the worst Jew in the world, but I am a Jew. <laughs> Terribly non-observant. But I hear you say it's a Christian nation. Should I stop for a second and go, is this a, a, a nation for me? Is this guy looking after me or is... You know, is there any problem here?
2: Look, I can't control how you think or how you feel or anyone yeah. else.
0: But to
2: deny that, that, our, that our nation was based upon uh, Christian principles and values would be to deny history. So when you say we're a Christian nation, I didn't say everyone
0: in our nation has to be a Christian. Right. I said we're a Christian nation. Are we a Christian state also, Lieutenant Governor? Absolutely. We're in the Bible Belt. Right. So what we're Christians r- State. You, so I think I think the statistics are that something like one in five people in this state are non believers. Maybe. And a percentage of the people who are not non believers are not Christians. For those people, whatever the percentage is, yeah. it, it's it's all good for them. The fact well, that we, we and, think of this as a Christian state. Right. And yeah. and look,
2: Christian teachings, if, if if we are sincere about our belief, what does Christ teach us? That's to love everyone. Right. I mean, Christ didn't come to convince the believers. You know, there, there weren't believers in Christ when he first came, but he came, he came to save everyone. Right. And so as a Christian, uh, I don't look at a non-believer any less than me. Uh, I pray, I'll pray for them. Um, you know I'm very serious about this issue. We, we uh, John Whitmire, you talked about it. This is a great collaboration of a, a Democrat and Republican. Um, I wrote a, a Christian book in 2002 I did a Christian movie in two thousand nine and that movie did well and it was seen in a prison in Louisiana. And Louisiana has the only seminary in a prison in America. It's a maximum security yep. prison with fifty two hundred inmates, seventy percent serving life, with no hope. It was the most violent prison in America and sixteen years ago a pastor told the warden who's still there, said the only way you're gonna change the culture the only way you're gonna change this violence is to change the culture of the prison. And the only way to change the culture is to change the character of men and I believe, as the pastor said, the only way to change the character of men is through the word of Jesus Christ. So they built six churches. They've graduated nearly 500 pastors serving life. And they've gone from the most violent prison in America to the least violent. So I asked Senator John Whitmire, Chairman of Criminal Justice, when I was on Criminal Justice, I was invited to go to the prison and I I said look, nothing happens unless the chair of the committee wants it to happen. And I, said, I called out I said, John, would you go to prison with me and see this program? And to John's great credit, because he cares about the prisons, he said, of course, anything to make them safer for our inmates and our employees, I'm willing to look at. And we went and spent the weekend in prison. We were both so impacted by what we saw that we brought it back to Texas. And we don't spend $1 public money, so right. the ACLU can't complain. We raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in private funds, and now it's millions of dollars and this May, John and I right. went to Darrington, down south of Houston, and we handed out diplomas to 34 inmates with long sentences who became pastors. They passed the same program that you, that any pastor going into a, a church right seminary program. But as you said, and we have no 180 public, in the yeah. program. So right. all I'm saying is that right. the values of the it's a Juda- we're, this country, by the way, a, yeah. we are a Christian nation, right. but we are founded upon the Old and New Testament. So the values of Moses, the values of the Ten Commandments, the values of Jesus in the New Testament is what this country was founded upon. And if we ever deny that, first of all, as a Christian, I'd be denying God. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'd rather lose an election all day long before getting trouble with God.
0: But I think, Mr. Mr. Secretary, these are good principles. The issue is is where the proper calibration is—the intersection of faith and and politics. You you mentioned that there was no public money involved in this program. Right.
2: I I would I would argue, Evan, that. our country is in quite a bit of turmoil today yep. because we have strayed a long way from those values. Yep. Um, values that were the guiding light. Look, our, our, yeah. we have a lot of problems in, in our communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are because of broken families. A lot of those are people are lost. Right. Um, a lot, and our job as a government is not to preach, um, but our job as a Christian is not to go in government, and leave our values and principles at the door. What kind of people would we be?
0: Is there a point at which, Lieutenant Governor, that there's too much religion in politics and that we are at risk of violating the Constitution? Not as long as you're sincere,
2: and not as long as you don't... You- what, what, no. is, what is no. sincerity, no.
0: Lieutenant no, th- Governor, no. what, no, what does sincerity what I mean. have what to I mean, do? Yeah,
2: help us understand No, this is what that. I mean by that. Yeah. There, all of you who are mocking me, I hope you're... Help, us, us, God help us understand I what you mean it. by sincerity. Look, here's what I mean by sincerity. A person who runs for office who tells you who they are, and that's who they really are, you may disagree with them, you may not vote for them, you may not like them, but at least they told you what they stood for. That's what I mean by a sincere person, as opposed to someone who says, "This is what I am," when they're not. Right. You know, we have. There's a great, son, a great line in a Christian song. I can't change my history, but I can change the man I used to be. We all are sinners. We all. Would have liked to have done different things as we go through life, but hopefully you learn as you go through life And so what I mean is if it it, like look every campaign speech I gave almost I always opened up with I'm a Christian first a conservative second a Republican third, right? That's who I am, and that's who I try to be Um, I wish I'd found the Lord earlier in life life might have been uh, easier for all of my 60 some years, but I just, I don't want to see someone who's, who, who, who is saying they are something they're not. Same way I don't want to see a conservative say he's a and, conservative and, and, and,
0: and to the people who are concerned that there has right. been too much faith introduced into politics in Texas of late, Donna Howard, a House member from Austin, wrote a piece on our site uh, today, and she said, at what point do personal beliefs and the policies these beliefs create infringe upon the rights of others? People who are made uncomfortable by the introduction of so much faith into politics? What do you say to Representative Howard or anybody who feels the way she does? You know, everyone is entitled to
2: see it how they see it. I I don't, um, it's it's really not complicated. You know, I'm a believer. I try to follow the principles um, that I'm supposed to follow and stand for the values and try to be the best role model I can be. As all Christians, we fail on a daily basis. What other people decide to do with their lives and what they decide to do, but for me, right? For me, if you ask me to deny my religious, my religious values and faith because I was elected for office and I wouldn't run for office, because that's more important for me. That's eternal.
0: Right. This is temporary. Let me uh, let me come to a, a more mundane issue: economic incentives. You mentioned in the interim charges that yes. you intend to look at economic. I'm remembering during the campaign your position on economic incentives, the kind of funds that the governor. Was so fond of using to right. attract businesses from other states. Your position was end them, don't mend them. Correct. Right? right. Uh, you still feel that way? We should get yeah. rid of them? Yeah, I do. I don't
2: like it. I don't like um, incentives. We had some money left over from um, the former governor's uh, fund Right. that were already obligated, that uh, both the speaker and the governor and I have, have addressed. So you're going to
0: direct the, the Senate to look again at possibly getting rid of those funds?
2: Yeah, I, think, I, just think, I don't think government right. should pick winners and losers. There's, there, look, in anything in life is an exception to every rule.
0: Even if, if, even if it affects the economic development climate in this state. I had the opportunity earlier in the year to interview Elon Musk, yes. who you know located his SpaceX facility yes. down in Brownsville. He got an economic incentive to locate that facility there, both from the state and from the local community. I had the opportunity to interview the CEO of Toyota, Last week or the week before, they're making a big uh, facility come to life in uh, Plano. Uh, did economic incentives make a difference to you? Yes, he said. Would you have come with that economic incentive? Well, we believe that the state should have skin in this game. Elon Musk said the same thing. I said, you don't need the money. Well, we believe the state should have skin in this game. You would rather see uh, Tesla or SpaceX or Toyota not located in Texas?
2: No, we've also, we've also heard interviews from CEOs of companies after they moved here. They would have moved here anyway. What I'm saying, there's always there's always a a case that you could look at and say yeah. should we address that issue but as a rule as a policy i right. don't believe in picking winners and losers and and i've voted against them turned some down in the, in the past and i just I, look texas has enough to offer first of all that we have much more to offer than other states first of all we don't have an income tax right one, heck of a place to live with
0: really good people. Predictable regulation, tort reform, yeah. the, whole the whole range thing. of things the that tort- the governor used right. to talk about. Yeah. So, so you don't think we need to have incentives? No, I really don't. As a tool in the in yeah. tool chest. But part
2: of that is. Yeah. The, the other part of that is the main reason they come to a state. Again, tort reform is big. We have the toughest in the country, the best in it. Right. I mean by toughest? Tough to sue a business. Um, frivolous lawsuits pretty much have disappeared in the state. Yeah. Um we ha- our housing price, our t- property taxes are a problem, but our housing prices much lower than most other states. Yeah. But what they come for is an educated workforce, and that goes back to education. I'm sure you'll get the as school as choice. Pr- as long it. as you provide. Right. And we have to, And yeah. as chair of education, as lieutenant governor, my focus is on making sure that every student graduates prepared for a job or college. We have devalued blue-collar work so much in this country. There's nothing wrong... With a blue collar job, uh, there's nothing. You know, plumbers make more than more money than a lot of our kids graduating college with a hundred thousand dollars debt and a and a BS degree and BS that doesn't qualify them for a job. And so, if we provide a educated workforce across the spectrum, and we have 5.8 million kids in Texas, then
0: that ought to be enough. We don't need incentives. Yeah, we
2: don't need incentives.
0: Okay. Let me, Make it let, the best environment. Let me, let me ask you about guns. Yes. Uh, obviously, open carry con- and a, a campus carry passed right. in the last legislative session. Break. There was a fight. Governor Abbott and I both campaigned on it. You did. Signed it into law. There was a fight briefly in the House and the Senate over whether open carry should actually be constitutional carry, right. uh, uh, ultimately licensed open carry as opposed to constitutional carry, unlicensed open carry passed number of people in the legislature, your uh, colleagues in the Senate, people in the House, have said, we want to come back and talk about that. Didn't see anything about constitutional carry in the interim charges. There was
2: not support for constitutional carry. Uh, I know those who support it will be continuing to try to bring it forward. But this is not a priority for you. We passed open carry, which we campaigned on, uh, for concealed carry. Constitutional carry would allow people, anyone to carry a gun right. without any kind of license. Right. The Second Amendment is my
0: license. And, and, the I, know, and,
2: and right. I know some people are, are all in favor of that and, and I you're respect not. their view, but there's just not support either in the public, if you look at any of the polling, right. support in the legislature for it. But, but things change, Evan. Let me say this. Things change. For example, the session before last, Open carry didn't even get a hearing.
0: Right, campus carry repeatedly did not pass. Things change from time to time. Elections change. Governor, one one thing that has definitely changed is that gun violence in this country has really become an epidemic. Uh, The day of the shooting in uh, Oregon a couple weeks ago, it was the 275th day of the year, calendar day of the year. It was the 294th mass shooting of the year. Mass shooting defined as at least three uh, victims. So we're at a rate of more than one mass shooting in this country per year, more than 30,000 gun deaths per year. You have any regrets at all about the idea that we're gonna have now open carry in the largest cities in the country with no opt-out? And any reason to think, maybe we should have thought about this differently, maybe we should have provided greater restrictions?
2: Any regrets at all? No, let's let's uh, step back and look at what other states are doing. To my surprise, I'll be honest about this, my first study it. I didn't realize that we were one of the handful of states that didn't have open carry. Only six. We were one of only six six states. Now, I bet that comes as a shock to many of you because you've traveled around the country. Have you ever seen anyone carrying a gun on their hip? No, there are different restrictions in different states and different cities. We have over 800,000 permanent concealed carry holders in the the state. I don't think you're going to see many people walking around with a gun on their hip. They got a concealed carry to protect themselves and their family or their property. It would seem pretty foolish to walk around advertising you have a gun on. If a bad guy comes in, you're going to be right. the first guy to get shot before you get it out of the holster. Right. So I don't think you're going to see much of that. Um, and in terms of, of all of these situations, look, we see these shootings you're talking about happen in gun-free zones. If if you if you're have the intent to kill people, are you going to go into a room where 20 students are unarmed or armed? I'll take my chances that people get their license, whether they conceal it or open, right. they're responsible gun owners, and they will be there to protect themselves right. and others.
4: I
0: was interested to read earlier today that the uh, uh, Colonel Steve McCraw, the head of DPS, right. uh, issued uh, a statement that uh, in when open carry uh, uh, takes effect, that DPS is going to ban non-police employees from... Uh, with a, uh, the Department of Dallas Morning News, Department of Public Safety plans to bar its non-police employees from openly carrying handguns on the job. So, despite the fact that open carry will be the law, they want to ban non-police employees from open, from open carrying handguns. This is from Colonel McCraw. If you have someone who is a customer service representative for driver's licenses carrying a gun, doesn't really present that customer service model we're looking at. Uh, Colonel McCraw described that as a business decision. Does the fact that Colonel McCraw believes that non-police employees shouldn't open carry give you any pause, any concern at all? No. No? You, it Just it's okay for DPS to make that decision. Others will make that decision and that'll be it. Have Businesses a, yeah. have the opportunity to have sure. signs I, look, I, out.
2: I have great confidence in, in uh, the Colonel. He's done a magnificent job right. ahead of DPS. Our, our men and women on the border are doing a terrific job and across the state.
0: Uh, I, I have a lot of faith. And, in right. and him and if he right. made that decision he made it for the reasons he thought were the valid reasons. On on campus carry which I, I continue to note with some uh, uh, mystification is going to take effect on August 1st of 2016, the anniversary of the Charles Whitman shooting on this campus. Was that a, a deliberate decision by the legislature to have it happen on that day?
2: You're the first person that's mentioned it to
0: me. You so didn't know? I did not know. No? Not. You understand that some people think the optics of that may be a little I off? Didn't, I don't think any legislator knew. Don't I don't think fact, anybody knew? I, that's, that was never even
2: discussed. Ne- never heard. So
0: as we sit on this campus at the University of Texas more than 300 faculty members have signed a petition expressing yeah. their concern about having guns in classrooms. Yeah. Are they in any right to to, to to object to this? Should we give them the opportunity the way we want to give other people in society who object to things and they don't well this, this somehow I'm concerned about this this goes against my principles or my values I don't want to obey this particular rule or this particular policy, should the faculty here be given any consideration in that same well, way? I see
2: that one quit. He did. Okay.
0: So he exercised his right. Right. So you think that- If we, that, if we that, lost 300 right. tenured teachers, we could get tuition down pretty fast. Right. So do, we can get tuition. So you're, you're willing to see 300 faculty members decide my, my they don't want is, to have guns in classrooms he, and
2: quit? Here, here's my point. Yeah. Um, and I've read where some of the professors have said they don't feel safe if people are carrying concealed carry. I think the answer would be I wouldn't feel safe if someone came on campus with a gun to shoot professors and teachers and there wasn't anyone there to help stop that person. That would make me feel unsafe. And don't forget, to have a CHL you have to be 21 or over. We've had 800 people have licenses. I think less than a quarter of 1% in the history of, of concealed carry have committed a crime. People who are going and taking the courses and go through the background checks have been responsible gun owners. These are going to be adults or employees that will uh, carry on the campus if they wish. Right. And if you don't want to carry, you don't have to carry.
0: You will willing But don't to, stop yeah, my yes. right from defending myself. But, but see, but with the professors, I don't want to speak for them, but what I suspect the professors would say is you're arguing that people should be allowed to carry guns because they have a right to protect themselves. The faculty members say, we don't want guns in our classroom because we have a right to protect ourselves. Right? They, they, feel, they feel somehow that they're endangered by having guns in classrooms. I know you don't agree with that. So my question is why is the argument that, that somebody should be able to carry a gun to protect themselves well, valid in one case, but if they don't want to have guns in the classroom you to protect take, themselves, that's not valid. Wait a minute. You could take that,
2: um, why don't they just rip the Second Amendment out of the Constitution? And I mean, th- these people would be saying, I don't feel safe in my neighborhood because someone has a gun next door to me. Right. Uh, I mean, it's,
0: I, I, look, if they don't want to have a gun, then fine. But so if they, of, don't, if they don't want to do their jobs, the option for them is they can quit and get another so absolutely,
2: job. Absolutely. They can somewhere where they're right. comfortable.
0: Just like a student right. who didn't feel safe because maybe they're not allowed to carry it, can right. go to another school. Or just like a county clerk who doesn't want to issue a same-sex marriage license. If you don't want to, if you don't want to issue a license, right. the option available to you is quit your job and get another job. Right. There's uh, not any difference. Right. And again, if, if
2: that clerk wants to quit. I don't agree with the Supreme Court decision, but right. it's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. Okay, so the Supreme, so that, that county clerk has a choice to go to jail or quit yeah. or comply. Right. All right? The law of Texas is campus care, and the professor has a right to quit
0: or comply that other people have it. No other choice, that's it. No other choice. Okay. Let me ask you about health care. You were, again, with me on stage across the way yes, in 2014, and I asked you about the prospect of the state addressing the problem of so many people in the state having no health insurance and the right. spiraling health care costs and all that. And this is what you said to me. The people of D.C. are not qualified to fix health care and the insurance problems of Texas. Correct. How come you all didn't fix them yourselves in the last session? All of you who are clapping,
2: And what would you recommend? Okay. What 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 what? And, and let me finish. No. And we're going to get to your question sooner. Yeah. And how would you pay for that? Yeah. Look, here's the deal. You'll have a mic soon. Here's the deal. Yes. If you look at our budget, 114 billion dollars of general revenue. We spend about 58 billion of our 114 on education. 41 billion of that is K through 12. Seventeen is higher ed. We spend $33 billion on health care in Texas, of GR, and it's general revenue. And it's growing, right? It's grown from 25 to 35% right. in the last decade. Right. And we spend about 10% of our money on public safety. So if, if I had a pie chart here, you could draw a line from the 12 to the 6 of all the money we have to spend, your money, remember, yeah. it's not ours, it's yours. We spend half of it on education today. 51 billion of 114. We spend 33 billion on health care, growing rapidly. And we spend about another 10%, 11 million on public safety. Those three items, yep. Those three items are 90% of our entire budget. Our responsibility, unless you all want your taxes raised, significantly is to try to reduce costs The best we can, telemedicine would be an example. It didn't exist a decade ago. Just because we're growing doesn't mean that we have to grow for every dollar for every population increase. We have to find ways. We have to cut waste. We have to cut fraud. Do you realize if just 10% of money in Medicaid spending in Texas is waste, abuse, or fraud, that's three billion dollars.
0: But of course, Governor, what the audience is shouting, and I suspect, the audience when they, is shouting, but the they want, want more is shouting, without the
2: facts of how to
3: pay
0: for it. Well, what the audience is saying is, why don't you acknowledge that in states where the Affordable Care Act has been embraced, the rate of decline in the uninsured population has been faster than it has been in Texas, which has not embraced the Affordable Care Act. I understand right. that we have a conservative. I understand right. we have a conservative government. We are a conservative state. We don't like what happens in Washington D.C. We don't like the Affordable Care Act. I get that. Right. My question is, if you look at the uh, what's happened in states that have embraced and not, the decline well, in the uninsured population has well, been faster in the states that have. And embraced. of course, you
2: know it's true that yeah. even those states that don't embrace it, like Texas, right. the people in that state can go on to uh, AffordableCareAct.whatever dot whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, if the you know it took them six months to get the website working, but they could go on and sign up for it. Right. So if people aren't insured today, right don't blame texas right well and maybe in fact, maybe yeah. they are not uh all that uh anxious to get health care insurance i don't know why well in fact it's there was a there. study there was
0: a kaiser health it's there th- a kaiser foundation study that came out a week or two ago yeah. that showed of the 4.4 million people in texas who have new health insurance there are about 23 or 24 percent who are eligible for some subsidies that they're not accessing yeah I,
2: you know right look When you're giving something away free and people still don't take it, you might consider the fact that they really don't care about it.
0: So the HHS secretary is going to come to Texas, she said. They're going to come to Texas and three other states that have a high population of uninsured, and they're going to try to encourage more people to sign up. So Dallas and Houston are going to be targeted cities for them. Do you have any problem with the government, coming, federal government coming in here yeah, I have a lot to try of problems to sign up the,
2: people? I have a lot of problem with the federal government coming into Texas because every time they come in, they seem to make it worse before they leave. But if
0: all they want to do is sign up people who are eligible to be on health insurance, are well, you going to... do that. I mean, look... You don't that, have any
2: problem with that? Look, if they, if they come in, if it's legal for them to do it, apparently right. they wouldn't if it wasn't legal. I haven't looked at it in great detail. Right. That's, that's their option. But again, for all, for all the people who clap and want more, and again, your, your guest on Sunday morning will say, you know, he's, he's, the, he's the pessimist. Everything is bad. The sky's falling. We need more of this. But well, I'd like this. to give I him a chance wa- to say I mean, what he I thinks. I watched the before debate the other night with the Democrats. Yeah. Man, they, they gave everything away except the chairs and the podiums they were standing behind. I mean, they've given it. You can't, there is no free anything, folks. No free anything. Someone pays for it, and that someone is you. Well, and, and let, me, but let me speak to that and, specific state so, governor. So from a conservative standpoint, yeah. I believe that in Texas, we have demonstrated the model of conservative policy works. Our, our state created more jobs than right. all the states combined over a period of years. 14, 15 years,
3: right.
2: Yeah. I mean, that we have the best tort reform in the country We are adding 4,000 doctors a year who are coming to Texas because as a doctor that stopped Rick Perry and I last fall, we were having dinner in downtown Austin one night and a a doctor came up to me and he said, governor, I want to thank you for passing tort reform in Texas because when I was a doctor in Arizona, my malpractice was $77,000 a year and it's 7,000 here. governor, We're growing jobs, we're attracting doctors. We are... We're leading the nation in so many ways, and some liberals can't stand it.
0: Well, to, to the point of health care, of it not being it's just free, the truth. so you have these uncompensated care costs in hospitals around the state, it's free for the people who go to the emergency room to be treated, right. but it's not free to the rest of us, because those costs are being passed along to us in the form of property taxes. I know you want to cut property taxes, right. wouldn't the best way to cut property taxes, first and foremost, would be to fix health care? The, the health. Well, health answer.:
2: The health care issue is not a simple, you know what? It's, a, it's an easy one, two or three fix. It is not. And, and so we've been working the problem. Yep. We'll continue to work the problem, but I go back to this basis, and I believe this with all my heart. Texas has enough money, and America has enough money to take care of four groups of people, and that's children in need. I will always stand not just to protect the life in the womb, but the child who is born who is in poverty, and who needs help. A child should not be held responsible because they have a missing parent, or an idiotic parent, or an irresponsible parent, or a parent who's struggling. So you take care of kids in need. You take care of seniors in need, who don't have a safety net, who don't have a family to take care of them. We take care of our seniors in need. We take care of our veterans in need, when they come home, because yep. without them, we wouldn't have these kind of discussions in a free America. And we take care of those who are disabled. And I've been on the board of children with disabilities since 1988 and I've raised over 16 million dollars with children with disabilities so I know from where I speak but if you're not a child in need a veteran in need a senior in need and a disabled citizen in need you know what you got to take care of yourself you got to get an education you got to get a job and quit expecting the rest of America to take care of you and the Affordable Care Act's biggest mistake which those of you who cheer and want us to spend more was giving health care to healthy adults, not poor people who couldn't take care of themselves, or disabled, or veterans who were injured, or children who couldn't care for themselves. I don't know about you. I don't mind being my Christian brother's keeper. But if you have the ability to stay in school, and get an education, and go to work, and pay taxes like the rest of us,
0: then get off your butt and do it. Governor, let me, um Let me transition over to one or two other things before we go to the audience. Let me ask you about voter turnout, a relatively non-controversial issue compared to some of the things we've talked about. Voter turnout in the state of Texas. Statistics from the 2014 election cycle, a midterm election, understand it's not the same as every other election. 27 million Texans, 19 million adult Texans, 14 million registered to vote, fewer than 5 million voted in the general election, fewer than 2 million voted in the primary. We have no competitive elections in the state or have not had for some time, so the primary effectively is the general. So, if you want to know the real voter turnout in Texas, it's the primary turnout. Worse than 10% of our population. That might indicate. I don't right. know if you thought of this. Yeah.
2: That since 1992, the majority of people are in Texas are really happy with conservative leadership. Maybe
0: it's just that people don't want to vote because they don't want to vote. I get it. Maybe they like right. the way things are. Are there things that we can be doing or should be doing to get more people in this state to participate in the democratic process, regardless of the outcome?
2: Not if they're going to vote against me. I'm just, well, kidding. I'm just, right. kidding.
0: Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was we, too easy. If, it was we too easy. Sti- if we stipulate that they're not going to vote against you, would you please do some things to make more Look, people vote? I mean, I want to give you an example. Yeah. So last yeah. week, Governor Jerry Brown in your favorite state, California... Yeah. Yeah, they're bill, in the tank with all their right, liberal policies. Signed a bill, second state in the country, that would allow people, when they go into the DMV to get a driver's license, to be automatically registered to vote. What's wrong with that? Why shouldn't we do that? Look, in the I, th- state th- I
2: think voting is so important. Um, and look, I appreciate you all being here. You know, by the claps, I can't tell, really, the audience is kind of clapping against me. Sometimes. They're all it's conservatives. Me, yeah. No, everybody so, in here is a conservative. It's,
0: it's kind of an interesting response to that. I have to be candid with you. Right. I but, bust in people from Westlake so but, that we have some conservatives yeah. <laughs> It's actually good. Um,
2: but one of the things I've tried to do tonight is really give you a lot of facts to let you know I'm just not trying to legislate, shooting from the hip. Yep. I really study the issues. I'm really a policy wonk. I know no one thinks about that. I really look at how we can solve problems again, whether it's math and science teachers or whether it's residency slots for right. doctors. Or t- you know, I mean. Really try to do the best thing so solve
0: the voter turnout so problem so us.
2: I'm trying to give you a lot of information, right, and what I want really is an informed voter, yep, and so I'm really you know look, I think people ought to make some kind of effort to learn about the issues and learn about the people they're electing, whether it, no matter what party it is. I mean, if you're a Democrat if you're a liberal, you want your best liberal right um, and if you're you know, if you're a conservative Republican, you want the best person, and so i we have anyone it's easy to register to vote, um, it's easy to vote. Heck, we have two weeks of early voting. We make it easy.
0: Well, there are some people who might and, say that actually the state has not done everything it possibly can and, to make registering or voting easy. And if
2: people don't show up and vote, either they're, they're not, they're, they don't care or they're happy with the way things are going. So nothing else we have to do
3: no,
0: as far as you're idea. concerned. Let me ask people, line up on either side, questions for the Lieutenant Governor. I'm gonna ask you a last question while everybody's doing that. Sure. You have an opinion about everything. You have clearly proven that you are not shy in sharing that opinion with us on a range of subjects. Why are you so quiet about the presidential race? Why don't you just tell us who you like? I've asked you before, and you say, well, I might endorse, I might not. You've now had a couple more months since the last time we sat down with one another. Yes. You see the field before you, who's your candidate? Uh, you will know soon enough. Can I know within the next
2: two minutes? And, uh, you know, I want to sit back and evaluate them. I, you know, it's an interesting thing, you know, growing up, as a kid, I grew up in Baltimore. My dad was a typical World War II Marine. Um, didn't finish high school, but the smartest guy I knew, he was a leader. just didn't have the college education. Came back from the South Pacific and, and it was a truck driver and finally ran the department. We were a middle-class family. In fact, I was in Baltimore last week. I went by my old home that was 12 feet wide and marble steps. And, and I grew up, never, never knew we were middle class. I always had everything I needed as a kid. Yeah. I had great parents. But a president was someone I read about in the history book. Never thought I'd ever meet one. And then in media, and then in this in this business I'm in, uh, profession, I've met a few. Never thought I'd know any. And I know four or five people are running. It's going to make yeah. America it's a wonderful place for a guy like me you know, um, to uh, end up in this position. So I wanted to give them a chance to make themselves heard. Um, I think we're starting to see some people emerge. Here's what I do want. I want a president, if they're not from Texas, who loves Texas who wants to secure the border, who embraces the oil and gas industry because it's the backbone of our economy yeah. and our freedom. And that's what I want. Uh, and it's the right time, I'll make, I'll make that call. I do think this. We have a very high chance of having a brokered convention. And if Biden gets in for the Democrats, same thing on the Democrat side. And a brokered convention, of course, means no one gets 50% plus one of the delegates. Right. And it'll go to the convention. And if there are six people in the race in no particular order, If Cruz is in the race, Rubio's in the race, and Carson's in the race, and Trump's in the race, and Fiorina's in the race, and Kasich in the race, and Bush is in the race, no one can get 50%. And so I don't know how it's going to end. I think there are one or two who might get 50%,
0: and at some point I'll try and help one of them. I'm looking at Senator Burton, who was one of the first people to endorse Senator Cruz. 41 members of the legislature, five senators, and 36 representatives endorsed Senator Cruz. Your absence from that list was noted by me. You know the guy... Why not Absolutely. endorse Senator Cruz? He's the Texas guy. Perry's out of the race. No chance of offending Perry.
2: I shared with you.
1: You will know my decision. I will know your decision in soon. due
0: time. If I asked you ten more times, you wouldn't tell me, would you? No, I'm sure. All right, sir. Take as many as we have time for.
4: Texas, con-
0: oh. you're good. I can hear you. Good. Texas continues to rank highest, one of the highest, in teen pregnancy, um, STI infections, meaning chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea and data shows that um, access to contraceptives and sex education reduces all of those, including abortions. Why doesn't Texas look into having holistic sex education in our schools? What about, what about sex education? If the goal, just stay with the abortion piece, because I know you're pro-life, if you want to reduce the number of abortions, the question is, implication is, sex education and access to contraceptives might reduce unwanted pregnancies and therefore reduce Abortion. So what about that?
2: I think it, look, I think it's an issue that we have to look at very carefully um, and come up with the right decision because what we should all agree on is we want to prevent teen pregnancies. And there's a strong uh, disagreement amongst parents, uh, amongst some educators, amongst legislators on how to best address that. Um, so I think it's a good question. and. And we'll always continue to look at that.
0: Okay, Thank sir,
4: uh, Governor. Let's assume that things don't go your way, and the okay. EPA wins the, on the Clean Power Plan, and a future Democratic, you know, president implements it. Would you be willing to look at things like cap and trade for Texas if we have to implement something? Is this going
0: to be another case where if there's a policy out of Washington that we don't like, we're just going to sue and we're not going to embrace? Or if it is, in fact, the law of the land that we're going to figure out how to work with Uh, Washington? Assuming all the appeals have already happened. On on, on something like that. Yeah,
2: you know, I'm not a cap and trade guy. Look, we have to look at all issues here. As I said, I I want to be Wayne Gretzky of politics and look where the puck is going. But you're asking what happens if it ricochets off the boards and lands somewhere else? Even Wayne Gretzky can't do that. uh, Yes. I don't know, but I'm not in favor in general. Ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
4: Yes, sir. I'm a native Texan. I've been here a few decades, and um, I have the interest of Texas at heart, and I'm really questioning whether our state legislature does. Um, Of course we do. Well, say, on, you, on what specifically, ma'am?
0: Specific let, let, let's have a question. Yes. Sure.
4: Um, I consider this open carry, and, and being a uh, person who has an undergraduate in history, this open carry thing is a, per, a perversion of the Second Amendment, which was intended to allow us to maintain a uh, militia, not to carry guns into zoos and schools. And I, what I'm seeing from open carry is the open unintended consequence is going to be uh, driving people out and keeping the top professionals in the healthcare care and other professions out of here because they don't want to come to a place well, that well, is dangerous. Well, excuse me, may he, I finish?
0: Well, just ask why. Well, so, my, ques- my, question.
4: Question, my question is wh- what about the undet- unintended consequences of this open carry on our institutions, which is we're going to have a, an outflux of people who don't wanna be endangered.
0: All right, let's let them answer. Do you worry that there's gonna be some problem for the state to recruit people, universities, businesses, if we have this law, no opt-out for the big cities? It hasn't hasn't
2: impacted the other 40 states that have open carry.
0: Now, of course, the other states that have had open carry have had opt-outs for the big cities. Big cities in Texas will be the largest cities in the country with open carry once this law takes effect in January.
2: No, ma'am, you know, and, and thank you. Look, we all share a love of Texas. That's why we're doing this. And I, and I respect and appreciate that you have a different view. Um, I think a lot of um, people love Texas, in part, uh, because we are a, a state where people are able to stand and fight and defend their families and their property. And uh, so you can choose to disagree, and I'll respect your disagreement, but I'm not concerned about it. And you
0: it. reject the premise that it's going to be a disincentive for people to come to Texas?
2: Yes, I do respectfully.
0: Okay, sir. Uh, evening, Governor. General revenue
3: question. Uh, as you know, tax cuts last session is going to reduce uh, monies flowing to general revenue. We're about ready to pass a proposition that would divert more money from GR to transportation. understand that's a need. As you know, I represent people with disabilities that so both you and I care greatly about. We both general do. General revenue is the source of money that draws down a federal match that provides those services for them to live independently. I'm feeling worried about the future. Should I be? As long as I'm Lieutenant Governor, you
0: never have to worry about me looking out for the community of people who, with disabilities in need. So even if GR goes down, even if those matching funds go down, we're going to find a way to find money to support? You, you know, I was on Health and Human Services for three
2: sessions. I think I always voted in the way that was very supportive because I care about that community. I care about all Texans. We, all, we have limits, obviously. Um, and, we try, and we have to kind of balance the scale of everything we do. I think the tax cuts were a wise thing to do. And um, uh, we'll always continue to look out for that community. Again, when people who are truly in need, we have enough money to take care of them, it's the people who abuse the system in all, in all across the, the spectrum of government who aren't in need who are, the, who are the real people taking money from those in need. Thank yeah. you, sir.
5: Governor, I'm a mother of 23-year-old twins who just graduated from college, and I'm also a member of Moms Demand Gun Sense in America. And what I want to hear is what your plans are. You seem very proud of your open carry and your campus carry that you've campaigned on, but what are your plans to, to specifically improve the safety of our children in Texas especially in the education environment, against gun violence. And, and
0: is that on the state or, in the case of the universities, is that on the universities to do it? Well, are you asking I'm asking you. I'm, uh, too, I'm sorry. Add that on. I mean, whose yes. responsibility yeah. is it to protect?
5: Well, them? I, want to, I yeah. want to hold you accountable right. because you passed Open Carry and you passed Campus Carry. Yes. Now, I want to know, and I speak, think I speak for the mothers sure. of Texas, how are you going to keep our kids safe? Yeah.
2: Well, we hope. we hope that the Campus Carry does keep kids safe. Because, in this terrible tragedy, in this most recent shooting...
5: You mean the one in, in northern Arizona where there was a shooting on campus amongst students who got drunk? The,
2: the one... Ma'am, without campus carry, any student can have a gun on campus and get drunk and use it orally.
5: So, what are your plans so, to make children safer who, in Texas? That's the the that's plan
2: amazing. to save, to keep children safe the best we can is to be sure that law enforcement does their job but they can only react to a situation. So the shooting we just had in Oregon, those poor children, those those students, and that professor was shot in the head, never had a chance. I'd like to think that in the future, if that ever happens on a Texas campus, there'll be a professor, maybe there is a professor, who will stand up and actually say, I support this, Uh, or there'll be an employee, or there'll be a student. We'll be able to save lives. I there was a so. student
5: in oregon who was who was armed, a veteran who chose not to use his weapon because he recognized it was a volatile situation and he could have created no, further injury. He was th- in the classroom. yeah,
2: I think the I think the facts were, and I stand to be corrected. He was not armed at the time, but he did have a permit to carry.
3: Sir. Uh, Governor, this is a public education question. Yes, sir. According to the National Education Association, 47%, Texas ranks 47th in the country for pu- per-pupil spending, 35th uh, in the country for uh, teacher salary. With those types of statistics, and you're on record of advocating the $5.4 billion public education funding cut in 2011, why is it, With that type of advocating for cutting public schools, with all these problems that we have with growing populations, and that you also see the the same statistic of 60% of public education students are low-income students. Visualizing all these statistics and cutting public education, why is it that you advocate this? and want to continue advocating this when it's against, against the best interest of Texas Are you advocating? Have, yes. you, have sir, you been advocating for yeah. cuts in public it's, education It's just
2: you? a false premise. I'm, I'm, do you I, advocate it? Do I advocate what?
3: The cut, cut in public education spending. I, ab-
2: I advocate spending, sir, our money. That, remember on that chart I showed you up here?
0: Did you advocate the $5.4 billion expenditures Let's be respectful. Let spend, him answer your question.
2: We already spend of our budget, 50 cents out of every dollar on education. And there's no evidence whatsoever that more money leads to a better student. We see schools that are funded less, who have higher test scores and schools that are funded more. New York spends twice as much as we do, and they have lower test scores. California spends more than we do, lower test scores. Washington, D.C. spends more than almost any school district on the planet Earth and have the worst schools. Give me a quality teacher, my wife was a long-time teacher, give me parents who care about their children, and we will have successful outcomes. As far as always these numbers are where we rank, it does not take into account the cost of living. Of course, it costs more to build a school and to pay a teacher in New York City than it does Houston, Texas. And we spend uh, approximately uh, $8,400 a year to educate a student, another 3,000 or so, in the sinking fund to build the schools. It's about 11,000, a little bit over that per student. Our starting teachers now, on average, make $50,000 coming out of college. Um, uh, we are very competitive, and sir, there is not an endless stream of money. The other thing I will say to you, sir, if you're concerned, as many others are concerned, about the money for public schools, I wish you would be as concerned as support school choice for those 300 schools we have in Texas that have been perennial dropout factories, and no one seems to care about those 150,000 kids who go to those schools who have the same amount of money as some other school that's successful.
3: When you say school choice, are you advocating vouchers?
2: When I say school choice, I believe that parents should have the right, as they now do in Nevada, every parent, to send, to, send, to send their child to the best school for their child and not to be forced into a bad school. And sir, you can, I can tell you're very sophisticated and educated. You would not stand by quietly for a day. If you lived in a zip code where your son or daughter or your grandchildren were forced to go to one of the nearly 300 schools that the state of Texas says is a failure. We already have school choice, by the way, sir. If you're rich enough, it's called private school. And if you're mobile enough, you move to the suburbs. But if you're poor and you're in the inner city, and your children are stuck in a failing school, you don't have the money for private school, and you don't have the wheels to go to the suburbs because you depend on a bus to go to work, and I would say, sir, that that is immoral.
0: One more question. No, 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 no am I'm, 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 I'm sorry. We've got to stop right okay, there. Thank for you. Um, go- Governor, I'm afraid we have questioners who want to ask questions, but we have hit the limit of our time. Can but.
4: I just do my last question? I'm really sorry. Just one last one. One more, one last Can so You want
0: to take one more question? Will you take one more?
4: Okay, It's always you.
0: that one more that's the gotcha. It is, okay. Hey,
4: awesome. You absolutely. get one more question, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it. Thank
0: make make it a quick one. Absolutely. My name
4: is Julieta Garivai. I'm a proud Longhorn. Um, yeah. yeah, especially practice. after last week. I'm undocumented, unafraid, and unapologetic. I grew up in Texas for 20 years, I have contributed to this state, um, as well as my mom and my sister and many families here. I wanted to ask you, do you really want to deport me and millions millions of undocumented immigrants that live in this state, that contribute to this state, that call this state their home? Um, So I just wanted to ask you that.
2: Have you ever heard me say that? Have it you seemed heard like many that? of
4: the policies that you pushed during the Texas legislature no, were no, about that. You know,
2: here's an amazing thing that will shock some people here tonight. Greg Abbott and I got the highest percentage of Hispanic vote in the history of the state of Texas and more than any Republican that we know of in the country. Which
4: is questionable. It's, it's, it's no, the point is,
2: here's what I'm saying. The point is that, and I won't speak for General Abbott, although I, I think he did the same as I did. We treated everyone the same in our campaign. And Hispanic, excuse me, let me finish, it. ma'am, excuse me. Ma'am, may I finish? Let me finish. And, and we treated every citizen the same. And we said, we want to lower your taxes, we want to secure the border for law and order. We must have school choice so that everyone gets a great educational opportunity and economic opportunity. And Hispanics turned out in great support and support. And we were pro-life and pro-family. The Hispanic voter is no different than any other voter. They support those strong conservative issues.
4: And I have never- and ma'am, ma'am, let him finish. And, and
2: ma'am, finish. I don't think it's practical to deport the people here, and I've never said that, I've never advocated. But here's what I have said. We have to stop the flow of people coming in, number one. Number two, no country should have a policy where to get to America, you have to be stuffed in the back of an 18-wheeler, and I said that long before that video surfaced last week, or swim across the river, or be one of the hundreds of dead bodies we pick up what about it's the it's up to hold that on, were it's holding. up to it's up to Washington. The Supreme Court has made it clear On immigration policy the states do not have a say, but we do have a say on public safety That's why we and that's why
4: but we increase, that why we increase
2: border security funding ma'am And I stand on having a secure border and I also believe that we're gonna have to address the people who are here But we don't do that how
4: do you expect to But we them?
2: don't do that ma'am until we secure the border first okay, so and, you're not, and secondly do to do and that? secondly it's the federal government whose task it will be and not our task in Texas but I can tell you this I value every person and I don't want to see people have to come here and hide in the shadows I don't want to see them die to come to America and I'm sick and tired of both parties in Washington not addressing this issue but we must have a secure border or we have no country and I will do everything as lieutenant governor to keep people from coming here illegally okay thank you ma'am
0: and that is gonna have to to be it please give lieutenant governor Dan Patrick a big hand thank you all very much for being here We'll see you the rest of the weekend.